Welcome to All the Social Ladies, a podcast bringing you candid conversations with the boldest women in digital marketing. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and let's get into the show. Hello, hello, hello. Are you feeling social today? I sure hope so, because today we are talking with somebody who I personally know as a social media guru. She may hate that term, but it is true. Honey brings more than a decade of experience in marketing and accounts to the VP client services role at Likeable Media, home of yours truly. Prior to joining the agency as an account manager in 2014, she was part of the marketing team at USA Network and later spent more than five years as the key client liaison at Getty Images. One thing I know is that Honey is a killer early adopter, and you're going to learn all about that here. Check her out now. Welcome, Honey, to the show. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to have you here because obviously I get to interact with you in a work environment, but this is such a nice opportunity to actually really get to know you, the person. Yes. Lots of surprises. Lots of surprises. So before I even start into these questions, on this podcast, you will be introduced with your married name, which is Honey Cantrell. Correct. However, growing up, your name was Honey Comer. Yes. That your actual name. Yes. Honey Comer. That's correct. I'm okay. ne- never going to get away from it. <laughs> right. And I think, you know how I feel about yes, this. Yes, I yes, feel I you it. should own this. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about growing up with the name Honey Comer. Was it uh, something that was fun for you, hard for you, or you know nothing different? Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't always fun. That's for yeah. sure. I mean, as a kid, it's uh, it's definitely something that people can kind of dig into and tease you for. But I think that that's, you know, there's something, everybody has that something about them, I think. Um, although, you know, clearly as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate it a lot more. It's, I'm not often forgotten, which is a really um, nice thing as long as I can uh, be re- reciprocal in my remembering of people's names and that kind of stuff. So it's mostly benefited me in the future. And, and my, my first name in particular, I'm, I'm okay with, so. I really love it because I think it kind of embodies the definition of working it. You're given a name, Mm -hmm. right? And your name was Honeycomber. And of course, growing up, you could get some some jokes about that and everything else. But ultimately, what I've seen, at least in your pre-married life, is that you you owned that and you you used it to be memorable. And I, I think that's one of the quintessential examples of working it. And even though I love and support my new <laughs> love, Honey Cantrell. I do miss, I do yes. miss Honey Comer. Yes, she's, no, she's a good, good soul, but Honey Cantrell is yeah. on to big things. You, so. still get, you still get Honey, you still get the Southern accent. You do. Lots and and Honey Cantrell, yeah. you want to say with like the Southern accent. Yeah, so course. it works. It works. It's the same. Okay. So I used to ask people the full story of their career. Mm-hmm. I now believe that we can tell that story through pivotal moments. And so I'd love for you to tell me the three kind of light bulb, big moments in your mm-hmm. career that helped shape who you are today and where you are today? I, there are so many, more than three, I'm sure. But, um, you know, if I had to boil it down, I really, I look at this more so from a framework of relationships made and how those things uh, catapulted me into different places in my career. Um, the first of those being the, you know, the friendship that I made with my now best friend, um, Ray. We actually met on a spring break trip that we went on in college. Okay. I'm sure you are familiar with the that whole setup. It's let's get a ragtag group of people together so that we have enough money to pay for gas. Totally. And off to Key West we went. Um, and I, I hadn't really known him before that, but 
we really bonded over our mutual desire to kind of leave small town life and potentially move to New York and all these things, big sex in the city fans, as many people were at that time. Um, and he ended up getting into an, a program with an entry level fashion buying uh, company right out of undergrad and, and actually made that dream come true and moved to New York. And I actually stayed behind and went to graduate school for another couple of years. But it was through that friendship that was sort of happenstance that my resume ended up on the desk of the the person who would be my first New York boss um, at USA Network. So I think that getting that um, opportunity and moving to New York is by far the the most pivotal thing. I mean, certainly that was that was the one moment. Um, I think after that, um, it was another relationship made. Uh, I went with my roommate at the time to a wedding as her guest, and she, of course, knew a lot more people there than I did. And I kind of found my one other straggler, and we became kind of friends. <laughs> and I was telling him the story of how you know I grew up as a as an NBC watching family, big Today Show family, and all yeah. of that. So. I couldn't, you know, there's no greater thing that I could imagine than getting my first job at 30 Rock. And so when it, when I wasn't feeling like I saw the opportunity and the next step for me that there, it was really confusing. Like this is, I've achieved everything that I thought success meant. So where do I go from here? And I kind of was just, you know, talking to him a little bit about that confusion and, um, you know, looking for my next opportunity. And this, you know, virtual stranger ended up emailing me the following week that there was an opportunity at his company, which was Getty Images. Uh, and very quickly, and probably without as much information as I should have had, I made the jump over there. Um, but that job was the one, I think, where I really um, got exposed to client service and learning the skill of diplomacy for a lot of different interests, um, which is something I think has served me well long-term. I'm, I'm sensing a theme here. I can't wait to yeah. hear your third because there's a real big lesson in your stories. Yeah. Well, the, the third one is um, it's it's less of a happenstance friendship and more of a digital connection made. Um, and this is a little bit of a switch up from, from um, versions you may have heard in the past. But I actually, at the time that I was preparing to leave Getty and look for my next opportunity, I was really just kind of perusing LinkedIn and I happened across Likeable, um, which I hadn't known much about in, in complete candor. And um, I clicked in, went through the application process. And I remember it being it leaving such an impression on me, even before hmm. I had spoken to the first person here. But just Brian, our amazing HR director here at the company, had put together this really fun outside the box application process. And I talked to my friends about it that night at dinner. I was like, I don't know. It's just serendipity. Like, I, I just it feels really good to me, it, it, you know, for the little that I know about them, it feels right. And it ended up that my friend uh, who I was at dinner with worked in the same building as Likeable One wow. Floor Down. And we had this whole conversation. I was a baker at the time and he, we had this whole conversation about how I was going to make cupcakes and he would bring them up and all of this sort of stuff. Um, and then I ended up hearing, you know, hearing from, from Brian the next day. Fortunately, we chatted and it was actually more of a, a pipeline conversation. You know, we're kind of trying to fill our bucket, but we don't have a position at this time and that kind of thing, which was fine. Um, a little disappointing, but fine. And um, so anyway, I continued my sort of search for a few more months with nothing really clicking the same way that that had struck me. And one day I just saw the listing for accounts pop up again in my feed for Likeable. I reached out um, back out to Brian, who I had made the connection with, and the rest is history. Here I am. Wow. So yeah. honey, I mean, what an incredible theme you have here. This is all about making connections. 
and the power of making connections. And so it's really no surprise that you're at a social media agency, which is built on the concept of fostering connections. That's all mm-hmm. about what social media does. So it's, I love how your career lesson actually ties in so well to what you do. Even in accounts, it's all about relationships and making friends and who you know and and all of that. And so it's it's very interesting that both in personal and professional circumstances, your career has been propelled through these relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you are very forward thinking in the social media space. In fact, I've had you push me on things that I wasn't sure if, you know, we're going to be big and you, you always knew. And for instance, um, you were definitely the first person in this office that I can recall to be a heavy user on Snapchat years Mm -hmm. ago, many years ago. And I know there's a lot to play with in the digital marketing space right now. When you're looking at messaging and chatbots and VR and AR, and I, I know personally how you feel about some of this, but what do you really tell brand marketers when they're looking at exploring this? Should they jump on everything that's new and hot? Should they wait and see? Hmm. What what should they be looking at right now? Yes. Um, well, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you teed up this question in that I, I will, in full transparency, admit that I am a crazy early adopter. Yes. I am not afraid of new things. Um, I love innovation and um, I'm always eager for us and for the brands that we work with to be the, the first on the scene to um, really demonstrate that we understand what's what's new and all of that stuff. But I think what it really boils down, boils down to is that having having a good marketing mix and a good digital marketing mix, mix is the same thing as having a really smart financial portfolio. You know, you have to have those solid rocks in there building up the the surface of the thing to make sure that we're reaching goals and we're kind of following some of those tried and true safer tactics. And then you sprinkle in a little bit of the more fun stuff. A in so, bit, it's a little bit of Bitcoin yeah, up in there. And so, <laughs> insofar as your risk threshold can tolerate. Right. Yeah. Ah, so you need yeah. to just let you have the mix and you can't base all of your budget on something that's so high risk that you could lose your hat, right? It's such yeah. an interesting analogy. You should definitely, you should write that in a blog, girl. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Okay. And so I asked our last guest this, and by the time I probably have our next guest on next week, we'll probably already know the answer. But Facebook recently announced a very large initiative, Mm -hmm. right? Which is the change to its algorithm. And I know that you and the team have seen a lot of uh, changes from that. How do you think that this is really going to affect brand marketers? What are we going to tell our brands about these changes and how we think they'll impact them? Yeah. I mean, some of it remains to be seen for us as much as everyone else, but um, I can tell you anecdotally from the things that we've seen, um, it seems to be having more immediate impact on publishers um, and non-paid content creators. Ultimately, I think anything that benefits the user of social media and and creates a more valuable experience for them is really positive for us. If anything, I think we need to adapt and be smarter and create content that really is going to move the needle with people. And and although the total number of engagements and some of those vanity metrics may constrict a little bit under the new algorithm, I think that the engagements that we do see are going to, to really be more valuable. It's interesting because I find that marketers are getting very angry, right? It'll be harder for them to show up in the newsfeed. But at the end of the day, if they take off their marketer hat and their consumer and put on their consumer hat, it should, it should in theory, 
be a much better thing. I just, I have trouble understanding the business decision hmm. behind why he's putting forth that initiative. Um, I think that it's very interesting and bold, no matter what. Yeah. Well, I think just in this climate, there there's probably a lot of external pressure informing those choices and that kind of thing. I think people are increasingly nervous about the impact of social media on decision making yeah. and some of those things in the political climate and that kind of thing. So I, I kind of understand where it's coming from, um, but I don't anticipate it having a tremendous detrimental effect on our clients anytime soon. Do you think that Facebook as a company will rally and be stronger than ever? Or do you think that some of the more recent stuff with all of the challenges around information leaking and uh, news manipulating and all of that stuff, do you think that that will have a long-term adverse effect on Facebook or are you banking on them? Uh, I think I'm banking on them, Me actually. Too. You know, as Zuckerberg hasn't hasn't uh, dropped the ball yet. Yeah. I think it's less about Facebook, the platform, and more about Facebook, the company. Right. And what they'll ultimately do, mm-hmm. I think, can be can be truly phenomenal. Another recent thing that happened, as, as you know, I mean, I know you follow all these influencers and know all of this stuff as an early adopter, but one of them that, that I have been exposed to prior to their controversy was Logan Paul. And I was exposed because my 10-year-old and 14-year-old mm. follow him. And, and my 10-year-old is like one of the Jake and Logan Paul obsessed people. And obviously, we had this incident with him in Japan. And, you know, that the whole controversy with, but for those of you who don't know, he filmed and found a dead body in what's known as the suicide forest. Um, and he also was incredibly disrespectful to the Japanese culture, made some videos got a lot of attention, negative attention for all of this and has since apologized, was kicked off of YouTube temporarily, I believe, and now is back on. My question for you is around the type of content that that influencers put out. How big of a risk is it for brands when they partner with influencers? It, what are what are the controls around this type of content? And and is this something that you as somebody who's leading uh, work with a lot of our clients. Are you more hesitant now about working with influencers? This may again come from my position of being really um, open and sort mm-hmm. of, uh, I don't want to say forward thinking, but I just am not so afraid of things. Um, yeah. I'm cautious in a lot of areas, but when it yeah. comes to choosing marketing channels and things like that, probably less so. Mm-hmm. I, I like to um, really push on that. I think any any partnership that you enter into as a brand is going to have some measure of risk. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, we do have to be cautious, but I don't know that it has to mean the end of influencer marketing. So you think that the, the, the freak out may limit innovation? Potentially. And that you don't want to see? Yeah. I mean, um, just speaking from personal experience, I mean, one of the one of the only tools that have moved me to make an expensive purchase have been influencer recommendations and things like that. Ooh, tell me about that. Give me an example. Oh, I have so many. It's really ridiculous, but like hair extensions and things like that I've bought because an influencer models it. They, um, you know, advocate for this specific brand. They show you how to use it. And all of a sudden it becomes this really accessible thing. Like I could do that. I can sort of look like this person or replicate this recipe or whatever the case may be. So you, uh, my, my guess is that before you recommend an influencer to a brand, 
you have a pretty thorough vetting of that influencer's content, right? Like you're looking oh, yeah. at it and know what they're doing. So it, it, barring any strange surprises, you should have a look and an understanding of a look and feel for how they might interact with a brand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you evaluate a content creator just like you would evaluate an employee that you're going to hire in-house or anyone else who's really representing you. Very good point. All right, honey, it's time. Okay. We're heading over to our lightning round. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yes. If you were a social network, not on a social network, if you were represented by, uh, I'm looking at Facebook and this is this person. I'm looking at Instagram. This is this person. I'm looking at Twitter. This is this person. If you were represented, your personality, by a social network, which social network would it be? Snapchat. Why? Um, Because it's rapid fire, real fun. Favorite influencer on social media? Um, Gigi Hadid. Ooh, (laughs) why? I don't know. I just really like her. I'm a fan of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I love that. Have you ever done a digital detox? No. Could you do a digital detox? No. <laughs> How long could you go with a digital detox? Um, on vacation. Let's say you don't have to work. So you oh, have the work part. Oh, um, however many hours I sleep that night. Oh my God. <laughs> big at it. If you could choose your age forever, what age would you want to be? Um, 30. Perpetually 30. I think so. Perpetually I think 30. so. Very interesting. Young enough to be young, old, uh, old enough to have some experience and be com- a little more comfortable in career. Fabulous. Yes. What do you think is your greatest strength? What's your superpower? Um, diplomacy. Ooh, diplomacy. I think so, yeah. Diplomacy. And I guess my final question for you is, how do you define success? Ooh, that's the hardest one. It's hard to do in a lightning round it question. Is hard. Okay. Um, well, I am a big Warren Buffett fan. Warren Buffett has said he defines success by the number of people who love him. I don't know if I need to personally be loved that much, but um, I think by the the number of people who have you know, had a better experience in their life in some way because of me, either directly or indirectly. I love that. Yeah. Honey Cantrell, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on all the social ladies thank today. You, Where should people follow you? Where's the best place to connect with you? Pick one social network. Sure. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's still Honeycomber on LinkedIn. So oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to update it. <laughs> this is an interesting point. Yes. I mean, you got to really do it all at once. Yes. You really got, yes. you, because your brand, you know, they're, they're looking you up. Yeah. So honey rocks on everything else. Oh, honey rocks <laughs> everywhere, but honey, honey Comer on LinkedIn, soon to be honey Cantrell. Perhaps by the time this is out, it yes. could be honey Cantrell. Yes, so yes. look her up in either place. Okay, guys, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. That was all the social ladies. Don't miss new episodes every week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media and author of Work It, Secrets for Success from the Boldest Women in Business. Follow me, at Carrie Kirpin, everywhere. And for more social smarts, be sure to follow Likeable, at Likeable Media. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.